Our text this week is from Esther, chapter 5, the uh, bold Esther and faithful Mordecai. Esther, chapter 5, verse 1. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robe and stood in the inner court of the king's palace. Now, three days prior to this, at the end of chapter 4, is when uh, Mordecai came to her, or sent messages back and forth to her, telling her of the death decree uh, against the Jewish people and that she needed to go before the king. And initially, she didn't want to go. She resisted going. She said, I could die if I go, and the king hasn't called for me for 30 days. And yet she then uh, relents and says, and I will go, and if I perish, I perish. I'm willing to die for the cause. And so then she tells them to fast and pray for three days, and at the end of the three days, she comes forth before the king. She puts on her royal robe. Now, we've been seeing in the book of Esther that even though God is not mentioned by name in the book of Esther, and no spiritual doesn't mention prayer, just as fasting, no other religious terminology or anything, God is certainly in the midst of the book and in the circumstances taking place. And we've seen how it uh, can help us in our lives and how we can learn lessons from their stances and their their uh, faithfulness, and also how various different segments, various different people at various different times represented the Messiah in various different ways. Uh, and Mordecai not bowing down, not breaking one of God's commandments and being faithful in that way. And, and, um, and so here we see Esther foreshadowing the Messiah, where three days prior she's being told that there's this death that has to take place, this death decree that's coming forth, doesn't have to take place, but that has been decreed. And she resists at first, and we see that foreshadowing in the Messiah, who knows he has to die, but doesn't want to die in the flesh. His flesh doesn't want to die, and so he's praying earnestly there in the Garden of Gethsemane. Three different times with sweat coming down, so intense his blood pressure has gone so high that he's bleeding, sweat, that his capillaries are busting and an agonizing prayer. Not my will, not my desire in the flesh, but what your will be done and resolved that if he needs to drink the cup, if he needs to die, if I perish, I perish. And the death that he's praying about is not, well, three-day die, I'll just die for three days. I'll go through some tough times, be beaten up a bit, and, uh, and then it'll be over and I'll rest for three days and then I get to go and to heaven and sit at the right hand of the Father. If that's all it was, he wouldn't have to agonize in prayer. It wouldn't be that, actually, it would be something to look forward to. I'd be leaving this earth, be done, I'd get to retire, yeah, a little bit of beating, do it quick, do it bad, get it over quickly, and, uh, and let's move on with it, right? But he's talking about being accursed of God, taking the sins of the world upon him, and according to what should be done, in dying for us, being blotted out. Not just again dying for three days, but dying for eternity. He was willing to do that. That's what he went into the grave with. But it was the mercy of the Father. And then we don't hear anything. He dies and, and um, is killed, buried in a tomb, and then for three days we don't hear anything going on. And same in the book of Esther. We go from one chapter to the other. And then she comes forth. 
And she comes forth now in her royal robes. And the Messiah comes forth, he's raised from the dead. The Father in his mercy raises him from, his dead, from the dead. No longer in the flesh, no longer in humanity that he has taken on, that bled, that sweated, that was tempted in all ways like as we are, that didn't want to die, but put on his royal robe again. Put on his God divine robe again. And he's raised up and seated at the right hand of the Father. And so we see Esther here also. Three days without eating, without drinking, and then coming forth in the royal robes. And she came across the, from the king's house, she came before the king's court in the palace and across from the king's house while the king sat on the royal throne in the royal house facing the entrance of the house. So the king has his house, the king's house, the queen has her house, right? So again, not such a great marriage relationship. She hasn't even seen him in a month and uh, has to wait for him to call upon her in going to see him. It could be risk of death. And that's what she's been subjected to. Again, not ideal, but certainly a whole lot better than the possibly hundreds of concubines that don't even have those privileges. And so he's seated on his throne in his royal capacity, and so she's coming forth at this time. I don't know if she knew or not, had an inside knowledge. Is this a good time? Is he in a good mood? Is he busy? Does he have, you know, did he just get news of some uprising in one of the 127 provinces in the, in the, in the country? Uh, you know, is something going on that uh, he might not be favorable about? But she comes forth, comes before him, and he's in his, again, now he's not at home. He's not in his house. He's in a royal throne doing royal duties with no doubt court in session, no doubt guards there and in a royal capacity. And so comes before him in his business time, during work hours. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, and here's the pinnacle of the whole entire book, right? The middle of the book. This is the deciding factor. This is all the drama is. And movies play this out. She comes and this could be again her death. If she decides, if he decides, he doesn't want her. He got rid of Queen Vashti. He's got all these concubines. He doesn't need her. He thinks she's getting out of line. He could just say, I don't want to hear from her right now. I'm just not interested in her. Hasn't been interested in a month. Right? So... He can easily just say, no thanks. And so she comes and she stands in the court before him. And she found favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. And then Esther went near and touched the top of the scepter. So also as Yeshua was resurrected and ascended on the third day, and as he told Mary, who came to the tomb when he was resurrected and wanted to hug him, he says, no, don't touch me, for I have not yet ascended to your God and to my Father. And then he ascended up and was received by the Father. 
that is the payment was done that he lived a sinless life in the flesh that he overcame the devil where Adam failed and the father says well done my good and faithful servant my son in whom I am well pleased come and sit at my right hand and we see a few years after this Stephen sees Yeshua sitting at the right hand of the father so the queen is received in before the king the king receives her in holds out the scepter to her and spares her so she, she can continue to sit on the queen's throne The king said to her, What do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? And it shall be given to you up to half the kingdom. Right? So if he gives away half the kingdom to her, then how much does he have left? Half the kingdom, right? So then they're co-equal rule as if she took him up on that. That's quite a generous offer of him. But also, again, the father and the son equal. They are one. They are united together as one. As God said regarding Adam and Eve, the two shall be married together and become one flesh. And so the king here is offering for her to be his equal and united with him, whatever her request is. And so she knows that something's up. She didn't just come in here, you know, because she misses me. She must have something on her mind. She must want something. And now again is the real test. So it was one thing to get through the door. Now is he willing to really hear her request? For what she has to say is, well, Haman wants to kill me and all of my people. And then the king would have to decide whether or not he wants to stay with Haman or stay with her. Haman, he just recently exalted up to second in command, even above the queen, Queen, he hasn't even seen in a month. Haman, he's seeing all the time. Haman's there all the time, advising him all the time, and there all the time. And so either he has to admit that he made a mistake, he didn't really know Haman's character, he, he was wrong, he, he exalted him above his other princes and attendants and advisors. In chapter 1, we have seven of them named, and Haman wasn't even there. And so he bypassed all them, and raises Haman up, and so he'd have to say, well, I made a mistake. Not much of a chance of that happening. So what is she going to do? She made it through the first trial, the first test, and now the test is, how do I word this to the king that he believes me and he takes my side over the one who he has put his trust into, whom he's given his royal ring to, to make laws in his behalf. That's quite a hurdle. And so Esther answered, If it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to the banquet that I have prepared for him. And so she comes up with this plan. Come to a banquet. She knows the king likes to party. She knows the king likes to eat. And the last time, last queen he got rid of was at a banquet. And so... Invite him to a banquet. Instead of asking him in front of everybody else, in front of all the people there, in front of all these advisors who might advise opposite, 
They might hear her out and say, okay, leave the court. We're going to discuss this and talk about this. And women, obviously, there in the society, in this kingdom, was not on equal footing with the men. Right? Again, we read in chapter 1, he had a party for the men. The women, they had their own party. <laughs> Separated. Again, she's not even living in the same house. Got her own house, doesn't see her for a month. Gets rid of a queen because she doesn't do his biddings. They're just there to come and dance before my friends. And so she invites him to come to a banquet, away from the court setting, away from the royal throne, away from everyone's eyes. And this, no doubt, piqued the curiosity of the king. And so this is her request. I'll give you up to half the kingdom. What do you want? Well, I just want to have lunch with you. I haven't seen you in a month. I'm wondering how you're doing. Let's get together and talk together. So the king said, bring Haman quickly. That he may do as Queen Esther has said. So the king and Haman went to the banquet that Esther had prepared. So he takes this seriously. He, this lady risked her life for this. She must have something on her mind. I, don't, I can't wait. Right then and there, he just cleans out his whole entire schedule for the day. He tells everybody waiting in line, sorry guys, come back tomorrow. I'm going on a date. I got a dinner arrangement. Calls Haman, come quickly. Let's Get this over, let's find out what she has on her mind. Now he knows that she doesn't want just some romantic thing. He invited Haman. She invited Haman, right? So what's on her mind? At the banquet of wine, the king said to Esther, what is your petition? It shall be granted you. What is your request? Up to half the kingdom, it shall be done. Again, he hasn't reneged on his promise. Recertifies it. And again, it's, we see it's on his mind. Doesn't say that she brought the topic up. He brings the topic up. She's serving the meal. They're having a good time together. They're eating, maybe a little chit-chat. And then he brings it up. What's really on your mind? I'm sure that your request wasn't just for lunch. There's some reason, there's something that you want from me. No doubt it's very important. Let's have it out. Tell me what it is. He wants to know. She's piqued his curiosity. And he's wondering. And then Esther does something very interesting. Esther answered, My petition and request is this. If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, then let the king and Haman come to the banquet which I will prepare for them and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. I'm not exactly sure why she ends up with these two banquets. Why does she doesn't just tell him then? Maybe she was trying to read Haman and see what their relationship was and didn't feel quite comfortable, again, pitting them against, put, making the king decide between her or Haman. Maybe she got cold feet, a little nervous, not ready to ask yet. And so delaying it, putting it off, wanting to pray some more, wanting to sleep on it more. Or maybe God in those three days impressed her, this is what you need to do. This is how you need to set it up. But whatever the case, this is what she does. And we see it works out 
perfectly. God, again, in the midst of the story. This extra time is just what was needed to take place. And no doubt this would pique the curiosity of the king even more. He's got to wait now till tomorrow to find out what this lady risked her life over. And that she wants not only me, but Haman to be there again. What on earth could this possibly be? Could you imagine the next 24 hours for him? Well, we see a little bit. We'll see a little bit next week. He can't sleep, and no doubt why. No wonder why. Uh, he's wondering about what on earth does she want? And he can't wait to find out. And that might have been exactly what she was wanting. For him to want to hear her out. Not just out of curiosity, not just out of, well, she asked to see me and has this petition, but that he desires to hear and to be bonded again with her and to help her out. So Haman went out that day joyful and with a glad heart. Good reason. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, and that he did not stand or tremble before him, he was filled with indignation against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, and he sent and called for his friends and his wife, Zeresh. So he restrained himself. In his position, he could have told one of his bodyguards to go cut that guy's head off, right? Haman told them of his great riches, the multitude of his children, everything which the king had promoted him, and how he had advanced him above the officials and servants of the king. Moreover, Haman said, Besides, Queen Esther invited no one but me to come in with the king to the banquet that she has prepared, and tomorrow I am again invited by her along with the king. Right? He's got a lot going for him, right? Everything's going for him. Everything that anyone could possibly ever want. Right? He's got a family, he's got a wife, he's got ten children, ten sons anyway, maybe daughters as well. He's got a happy family, he's got riches, he's got promotion. You can't get any higher than this except the king's throne itself. Or probably the mightiest, strongest kingdom on earth at that time. Can't get much higher than that and been advanced above everybody else. Not only have the king favor, but the queen's favor as well. He's got fame, he's got fortune, he's got prestige, he's got influence, he's got power. He's got the king's signet ring. He's got wealth. What more could he want? And so he's boasting to his family about it. He brought them all together to hear and to be thankful for what they have. Yet, all of this avails me nothing so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. He has virtually everything, even enumerates it, but declares it means nothing to me. It's worthless to me. As long as I see Mordecai there. Amazing, right? Crazy, right? Silly. But really, 
It's just like you and me. We're really no different. Right? What are your last prayers like? Think about the last prayers that you said. This morning or this afternoon or whatever. Was it filled with thankfulness? Thank you, Lord, I woke up this morning. I mean, that's a great start. That's a lot better than some people in this world. Thank you, Lord, I've got a breakfast waiting here for me. I've got food in the refrigerator. I have a refrigerator. For centuries, they didn't have refrigeration. I've got bananas. Any time of the year, I can get bananas. That's unique in this earth's history. Not only bananas, I can have basically any fruit I want any time of year. I don't have to wait for seasons. It used to be you ate what was in season. It was orange season, you ate oranges every day until the oranges ran out. And then apples until all the apples ran out. If you lived in areas where there were oranges, you didn't have oranges and apples in the same area either. You ate strawberries until they all ran out. And that was it. Now, we can have anything we want, any time of the year we want. Frozen if necessary, canned if necessary. Used to be you went out and hunted. Yeah, you killed a deer or something like that. Well, couldn't eat a whole deer before it went bad. Certainly by your, not by yourself. Now we have refrigeration, we have freezers, processing plants, transportation of goods, cars, planes. Ability to communicate with each other anytime, day or night. Activity, all we want. Entertainment, all we want. Clothing. Not just one set of clothing. We got lots of set of clothing, lots of different colors. You probably have more shoes in your closet than people had in their entire life not that long ago. We have so much to be thankful for. Live in a country where we have free speech, so far. Now we have, although some people are just fired for their job for speaking out, telling the truth. We have freedom of religion, we're still able to worship here at this time. Amazing freedoms that we have. Amazing privileges that we have, but what is our prayer? Oh Lord, I need this. Oh, Lord, this hurts. Oh, Lord, this want. Help me out here. Oh, my car is broken, and this problem, and that problem. We focus our prayers on the negative. All that you've given me avails me nothing doesn't even come up in the prayer. The great salvation that he has given to us. Promise of heaven. The forgiveness of sins. The victory over sin here and now. But all we can think about and all we mostly talk about is our problems, our woes, our difficulties, our troubles, negativity, problems in the world. You can have a job with decent pay, some benefits, and yet, it means nothing because of that jerk I work with. That boss who doesn't like me. This person who said this or that. 
my neighbor who has a barking dog or this family member, this parent, this child, this brother, this sister who hasn't called me, hasn't wrote to me. All that we have avails us nothing. We focus on this one problem or a few problems that we have in our lives. We're not thankful for the things until we don't have them. Until the air conditioning breaks, we forget we have air conditioning. What a privilege that is. And heat. We don't have to go collecting wood, chopping down trees, piling them up and trying to start a fire. You can get warm just starting a fire in the old days. We have so much. And yet, like Haman, it avails us nothing. At least that's how it comes across when we talk. It's how it comes across when we pray. Maybe we need to change our thinking. Maybe we need to look on the bright side of life. Maybe we need to be more positive, more optimistic in our outlook of things. How we view things, how we view life. Like the twins on their birthday, father brings them out to the barn. One kid opens the door and he sees a bunch of manure there. He goes, there's nothing here but manure. The other kid bursts in, says, there's got to be a horse here somewhere. <laughs> oh, and how we look at it, right? God has blessed us abundantly. How much better and how much more effective our prayers would be how much better our day will be when we focus on what we can be thankful for and what God has blessed us with. Because we focus on the negative and it will destroy our entire day. Yeah, look at him. He's just coming back from the Queen's party. He's got a party tomorrow. And yet, he's miserable because of one little nothing Mordecai. The guy's a nothing. Haman's the second command of the entire 127 provinces. Mordecai sits at a gate. Haman can have him snuffed out at just a word. And he's nothing. He can have him fired if he wants. He's not a problem. He's not that big a deal. He can ignore him. He can go in through a different gate if it bothers him that much. And yet it lets it eat him away. And we've done that. People we don't even know anymore. People we haven't seen in years. They're still bothering us. We're still letting them needle us. We're still thinking of what they said to us and what they did or didn't do for us. They've forgotten about you. But you're letting it destroy you. There's people we won't sit next to in the congregation. There's people we won't eat next to in the congregation. Or at work or in your family. Or in your social setting, there are neighbors you won't wave to. And we let them bother us and we let them destroy our lives. And then going about their lives. We don't have to let that happen. We don't have to be like Haman. Haman is what we should not be like. 
Esther and Mordecai are what we should be like. Here, Esther is sitting at the table with Haman. Esther invited Haman to the party, invited him into her own house, a guy who has made a decree to kill her and her whole entire family and her whole entire nation, yeah. And she has him in her house, feeding him food. Serving him, yeah, maybe feeling him out. And we won't do the same. The Bible says to love our enemies, to pray for those who despitefully use us. Now, it doesn't mean that judgment doesn't come, and we'll see later on in a few more chapters. Judgment will come, and she helps enact it. But at the same time, it doesn't have to destroy our peace. She's not allowing his intention to ruin her attitude, to ruin her mindset. She's able to invite him in. Yeshua let Judas eat with him. Yeshua invited Judas to the Last Supper, to the last Passover. He sat next to him. He ate with him. He shared a bowl with him. Even though he knew what he was plotting to do and would do. We need to be more like Esther. We need to be more like Yeshua. And we can be through the filling of the Holy Spirit. Through the cleansing of our carnal nature, through our natural natures. To be jealous to be negative, to be bitter, hateful, revengeful. Focusing on the bad instead of on the good. That's our natural nature. That's how we naturally are. So that's normal. But normal is not good. We don't want to be normal. We want to be born anew. We don't want to be born of this earth, we want to be born of heaven. And that's, Esther had that. And it might have taken the three days for her to get to that point of praying. And it may take three days for us to be praying to get to that point over some situation in your life. There might be someone you need to forgive. There might be someone you need to leave with God and do so. Even if it takes three days of not eating and praying to do so, leave them with God. And ask God to give you the ability to love, to forgive. Again, forgiveness does not negate judgment. Judgment can still be there. But forgiveness does not, keeps it from destroying you. Doesn't necessarily stop them from being destroyed or being punished. But it keeps you from being destroyed internally. Otherwise, it'll affect everything for years and years and years and years, even after that person's dead. There are dead people that bother us. <laughs> we still hear them, right? We can let it go on. But we don't have to. But we don't have to. We can let dead dogs lie, right? Put them out of our lives. Put them out of our heads. And by God's grace, love them in spite of them. 
That's the power of God. So then Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends said to him, let a gallows be made 50 cubits high, and in the morning suggest to the king that Mordecai be hanged on it, and then go merrily with the king to the banquet. What a wife, huh? <laughs> That's some solution. But again, sometimes we pray that way. Lord, get that guy fired. Lord, get that guy moved. Get that guy removed from me. Whatever it takes. Instead of, Lord, change that person. Forgive that person. Convict that person. Give them the gift of repentance. Give them the gift of confession. That's how we should be praying for them. Give me the ability to deal with it in the meantime. Zeresh comes up with this idea, 50 cubits high. You don't need 50 cubits to hang somebody. <laughs> they want everybody to see. This pleased Haman, and so he had the gallows made. That's not the solution. Revenge it still wouldn't go away. Still would bother him. The Holy Spirit would bring guilt and conviction to him throughout the rest of his life. And then he just finds someone else to hate. There'd always be somebody else who didn't smile at him right, that didn't look at him correctly, didn't thank him quickly enough, didn't bow down to what he thought was right. And it's the same with us. We can't run from our problems. We can't run from the situations. Satan knows what buttons to push. And so we run from one and he just brings the button with us. He just finds someone else to push the same button. That person just follows us everywhere we go. Or at least their twin or triplet or whatever. We can run and run and run and run. We can try and snuff them out. But they'll always be there until we turn them over to God and release them to God. And then we're free. And then when we're free, we can be surrounded with them and it won't bother us. Yeshua was surrounded with them and it didn't bother him. It didn't let it bother him. It didn't matter. Because he kept in his mind what the Father thought about him. What your coworker thinks about you, what your neighbor thinks about you, what your spouse thinks about you, what your ex-spouse thinks about you, what your kids or your parents, nothing matters. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter at all. What they say has no weight. None at all. The only thing that matters is what God says about you. And he loves you with an everlasting love. He says, you are his beloved child. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we might be called the sons and daughters of God. He's adopted us as his children. Undeservedly, he loves us. He cares about us. And loves us too much to leave us like we are. He changes us. He cleanses, he takes away the old carnal nature and he gives us his nature, his mind, his thoughts, his character, his actions. He loves us so much he gave his only begotten son for us. Thus he values us 
as much as he values his perfect son. Yeshua loves us so much, he gave his life for us. And again, not for three days in the grave, but willing for eternity. He gave us his throne. That's what he gave up, that you may sit at his throne in his place. That he was willing to take our place in the grave for eternity. Separated from the Father for eternity is the price that he paid for us. If that's what it took. If that's what the Father would have demanded, that's what he was willing to do. That's how much you're worth. Thus, it really doesn't matter what Satan stirs anyone else up to say or think. It really doesn't matter at all. And thus, we can walk as Yeshua walked in his steps, arm in arm with him, as co-inheritors of the kingdom with him in his royal robe, clothed with him. Let this mind be in you that was in Yeshua the Messiah. Not Haman's mind of pride and bitterness and rage and anger, but of love, mercy, forgiveness, security, peace, happiness, joy in the Lord. And that's where this chapter ends. And we will pick up again next week. And may our story not end there, but may we pick up and grow and continue on faithfully with the Lord. And so in a moment when we pray, whatever area applies to you, let God do his work in you and through you. Maybe he's calling you to go and stand before some king. Maybe to speak up in behalf of others. Maybe something at work. Speak truth to power. Sometimes we need to do that. Sometimes not. Sometimes we need to know when to be quiet too. But if he's calling you at this time in your life to speak truth to power, maybe you need three days of fasting and praying to prepare their heart, to prepare your heart, and maybe even another two days of banqueting after that, may God give you the courage to do what's right. Maybe God's calling you to live and be an example of the Messiah in your life. To be willing to perish, to be willing to die, to be willing to lose the job, to be losing, willing to do whatever it takes for the Lord's cause long as you're faithful to him. In a moment when we pray, may God give you the courage to do that. God wants to place his robe of righteousness over us, claim us as his children. If you haven't done that yet, in a moment when we pray, accept his sacrifice in your behalf. Accept his substitute in your behalf. Let him cleanse your heart and mind of everything that keeps you from him and receive his robe receive his royal robe of righteousness 
Third, if there's something in your life, something that's bothering you, something that's keeping you from being thankful, something that's bigger in your mind than God and all of his blessings, maybe it's some person, maybe it's someone upsetting you, maybe it's something current, maybe it's something from the past, maybe it's some situation, a broken down car, broken AC, broken knee, whatever it might be, turn it over to the Lord. Look away from the things of this world. Turn your eyes upon Yeshua. Look full in his glorious face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim, become small and insignificant in comparison. Someone's upsetting you, whatever social circle unfriended you, turn them over to God. Leave them with God. Let God remove all the negative feelings, all the hurt, all the pain, all the rejection, all the insecurity, all the fears. all the anger, all the bitterness, all the revenge, and surrender it before the Lord. Let him cleanse you through the blood of Yeshua. Let him fill you with his spirit, the ability to rise above it, the ability to forgive, the ability to love in spite of it. Or fourth, if you want to just praise the Lord, and thank him for all the many things, many more than I even mentioned here tonight, the many, many things he's blessed you with. The ability to see, the ability to hear, the ability to walk, feel, touch, so many things he has blessed us with. In a moment when we pray, give praise to the Lord and thank him. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we do praise your name and thank you for your salvation. We're thankful, Lord, you've been so good to us. Thank you for the promise of everlasting life. Thank you for paving the way for that. Thank you for creating us anew. Thank you for taking our nature. Thank you for giving us your nature. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Rise us up above the distractions of this earth and seat us before your throne with you. And may we see your face and see your glory and reflect your love to those we come in contact with. And we ask these things in Yeshua's holy name. Amen.